Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Yo, 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 it's the Daily Face-Off Show, and today is Thursday, March 10th. We're streaming live on Twitter, YouTube, as well as, of course, dailyfaceoff.com. And I am pleased to welcome in for his solo hot lap, the rookie edition of the Daily Face-Off Show, for Matt Larkin, our new managing editor and senior writer. Matt, welcome to the show. Glad to have you alongside. Frank, thanks so much for having me. It feels good to be a rookie again, a new adventure. I'm so excited. Well, this is kind of the closest you come to as a journalist, I guess, to trading teams. Trade deadline season, perfectly appropriate. Matt spent 11 years at the Hockey News. I'm sure you've been reading him all along. We're glad and thrilled to have him on our team wearing a new jersey at the Daily Faceoff. Matt, let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's dive in. It's been a busy morning around the National Hockey League. Just breaking in the last few minutes here, the Dallas Stars announcing that defenseman Miro Haskinen, the rock of their team, is going to be out indefinitely after being diagnosed with mononucleosis. Uh, that's certainly a blow to the Dallas Stars and their playoff chances, but also pretty two significant in, two pretty significant injuries, I should say. Uh, it's the last line of defense for both the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Vegas Golden Knights. The Maple Leafs announcing this morning that uh, goaltender Jack Campbell will be out a minimum of two weeks with a rib injury. So for now, the crease belongs to Peter Morazic. And the Vegas Golden Knights announced that, uh, or should I should say a report from Jesse Granger indicates that Robin Leonard has been sent back to Vegas for some tests relating to a lower body injury. So Logan Thompson is there. Lauren Brassois will start. Geez, Matt, what is your level of concern for both of these two teams that we've been on high alert with their goaltending in general of late? Yeah, I think it really varies. For the Leafs, honestly, I think this news is a blessing in disguise because with Jack Campbell, suddenly you have an explanation for the struggles he's been having, right? A rib injury, it sounds like it's something that was lingering for a long time. We know 882 save percentage for Jack Campbell since January 1st. Now we can point to a reason for it. It's not just the space between his ears. It's something physical. And in theory, it could heal and we could see a better performance from Jack Campbell. The other good news here is we get a longer look at Peter Mrazek. We're still less than two weeks out from the trade deadline. The Leafs have no back-to-backs until the end of March. So we could see Peter Mrazek theoretically start every game for the Leafs until the trade deadline. It's an extended look at him and then you know what you have. And if 
the results continue to be poor, and maybe you have to make a move if you're Kyle Dubas on March 21st. I think with Vegas and Robin Lehner, I'm more concerned. More from a long-term perspective, we look at Robin Lehner. He's not the tallest goalie in the NHL, but he's the bulkiest. Six foot four, 250 pounds. And it is a demanding position right now, goaltender in the NHL. It's never been more demanding. It's never been more taxing on the body. And you have to wonder... Can Robin Lehner hold up to this starter's workload? He's always been someone who shared the net for a large portion of his career, of course, in Vegas, always sharing the net with Marc-Andre Fleury. This year, he's been asked to be the guy. And I don't know if his body can sort of hold up to those rigors. Yeah, I think it's a fair question. It's one that we've been asking for weeks. And I think even more to the point, if this is indeed a new injury, a lower body injury, I've reported on the torn labrum in his shoulder. That's just another red flag for a team that's been in Stanley Cup or bust mode. The Leafs, are they willing to gamble this roster that they've assembled that can score like nobody's business on Peter Morazic? He hasn't been able to grab the crease. He's been given every opportunity over the last number of weeks with Jack Campbell struggling. You say that it's potentially an explanation for Campbell's struggles. My question is, with his numbers being what they are since December 7th, why hasn't he raised his hand sooner? So uh, certainly two uh, really key situations to keep an eye on. We've delved into the goalie market on dailyfaceoff.com on Wednesday with an in-depth piece. You can read it. That level of concern, it was already high for the Leafs. It's elevated a bit now for the Vegas Golden Knights. Some other news this morning, Matt, and that was that the Philadelphia Flyers have agreed to a five-year extension for defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen, a $25.5 million total, giving him an AAV of $5.1 million uh, on the salary cap moving forward. What are your thoughts on this deal for Rasmus Ristolainen and the Flyers? Well, I'm just going to literally scratch my head. I don't understand this contract. If we look at the performance of Ristolainen this year, going into the season, I understood the logic of the Philadelphia Flyers acquiring him. There was always the notion that, yes, he struggled horribly in Buffalo, but maybe it was the Buffalo effect. Maybe you could see what happened with Taylor Hall last year, where players freed from that environment and suddenly he blossomed. That has not happened for Rasmus Ristolainen in Philadelphia. He's continued to be caved in defensively. And if you look at the course of his career, I think you have to put him in that tier with Cody Ceci as one of the least effective overall defensemen in the NHL for the better part of a decade. And now you're ponying up to pay him on a long-term deal. I don't think it makes much sense. And especially, this was a player I think there could have been a trade market for, even though he struggled. He's big. He's strong. He has a heavy shot. He's a right-handed shot. That's a premium position, a pending UFA. I think you could have gotten maybe a mid-round pick a rental trade at the deadline for Rasmus Ristolainen. Instead, he's now part of your long-term future. Jeez, uh, I, I think the best way to explain it, and, and you hit it right on the head, is this feels like a face-saving measure for the Philadelphia Flyers. You said a mid-round pick. Could they have gotten a second or a third and maybe got back 30 cents on the dollar? This is a player that was traded last year before the draft for a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and defenseman Robert Haig. So... We know they weren't getting the first back. Could they have at least gotten some of some portion of that trade back? To me, it says everything you need to know that Rasmus Ristolainen was previously making 5.4 and was traded in exchange for a first and second, yet his next contract went down for a 27-year-old. That tells you how much he struggled this season. And I think it's just another juxtaposition between the way that hockey front offices operate and football front offices operate. Think to, you know, even just a real simple thing, the 
Indianapolis Colts trading quarterback Carson Wentz, another Philly connection for you. They trade him on Wednesday. They previously traded first-round picks for Carson Wentz. Well, it didn't work out, so they traded him on Wednesday to the Washington Commanders. I know that sounds funny to say, for two third-round picks. If this player doesn't work, cut ties, move on, sell at a loss if you need to. Don't double down and then give this guy an extension for a contract that probably doesn't make sense for your team for the long term. Rasmus Ristolainen, he's a nail gun on defense. You scratched your head, I go like this. I don't know that he can think the game. So uh, certainly an interesting thing uh, to watch. Moving forward for the Flyers, who are under some pretty significant pressure to bounce back. You've heard the comments from Dave Scott, their CEO at Comcast Spectacle, saying, we're giving Chuck Fletcher a blank check to make this team better for next season. They feel like Rasmus Ristolainen is clearly going to be a big part of that at $5.1 million. So some history, Matt, on Wednesday night in Edmonton. Uh, I should say Edmund Chuck, uh, because the Washington Capitals came to town. Certainly a lot of uh, fervor and support for Ukraine and with what's going on with the Russian invasion. Uh, tensions running high. Alex Ovechkin booed consistently in Roger's place, and you end up with the guy who's quietly gone about his business pretty much for his entire National Hockey League career, and Nicholas Backstrom getting a thousand points. And I feel like in this case, well deserved to give Backstrom some credit because had he assisted and gotten a thousand point on an Alex Ovechkin goal, which would have put him alone for third place all time on the goal list. We wouldn't have been talking at all about the Backstrom thousandth point. We would have only been talking about Ovi hitting third place all time. And now, in this case, Backstrom gets his moment in the sun. Would you say Nicholas Backstrom when it's all said and done? Hockey Hall of Famer, yes or no? I think he's going to be on the line. For me, I fall in the yes camp. And I know the detractors are going to say, well, if you get to ride Alex Ovechkin's coattails for an entire career, you're going to pile up assists. But there's another expression in hockey. It takes a great player to play with a great player and spend so much of his career, not all his career, of course, and Jenny Kuznetov has spent a lot of time with Ovi, but a large portion of his career with Ovi. But to me, if you look at Backstrom and the legacy, He'll leave behind, in my mind, a legacy as one of the best two, three, four playmakers of his entire generation, just pure passers. So we're looking at, I think, Henrik Sedin, Ryan Getzlaff, and of course, Joe Thornton. Of course, that generation overlaps as well. But to me, Backstrom is right there. His rookie season, 07-08, no player in the NHL since that season has more assists than Nicholas Backstrom. If a player goes a decade and a half, his entire career, and nobody has more assists than him, I think that's a Hall of Fame resume. And also, we have to look just at the defensive legacy, which is a very underrated part of Backstrom's game. He's gotten Selkie votes in various seasons, but he's never been a real close contender for the award. But it still adds to the overall effect he's had on the Washington Capitals. I think, of course, he's been a great driver of the play, a great passer, but he's also someone who's responsible in his own end. And he's just been a big part of their success, the most successful era, of course, in their franchise's history. And I don't think they win a Stanley Cup without him. I think he's very much a part of what they did very elite in the playmaking tier in his generation. So to me, I say, yes, Hall of Famer. I'm kind of on the edge. I think you're right in saying that he's right on the line. I think really the lack of individual trophy success um, probably stands out. Like he's been a really, really good player. I'd say elite in terms of the playmaking. He gets some credit for the defensive aspect, but he's never finished higher than seventh on a Selkie ballot. 
he doesn't really have the first or second all-star team criteria that you know distinguishes you among your peers in terms of uh, being one of the best one, two, or three at your position in the league. It's going to be really close. The points are there. The points per game are there. The Stanley Cup helps. The international success helps. I don't know. It's going to be a fascinating case when it's all said and done. I'm just glad that, like I said, he scored his thousandth point on a night that Ovi didn't inch further or closer to Wayne Gretzky's record because he deserves certainly some recognition for his career. Just sort of understated, quiet. It's exactly like his personality. He hasn't gotten maybe all the love or fanfare, but certainly won a heck of a career. Wanted to touch base on the trade deadline, Matt, and you had a great piece that went on dailyfaceoff.com on Wednesday about the 10 best trade deadline moves of the salary cap era. Certainly a lot of uh, things to highlight in that in that story. And, and if you haven't seen it, go ahead and read it. But when you take a look at uh, some teams that may be trigger happy, you think of the Chicago Blackhawks and what the run that Dylan Strom is on. They couldn't give this guy away at the beginning of the season. He was a healthy scratch for opening night. And yet he certainly uh, has been come alive, certainly of late with Patrick Kane. They've been a dynamic duo. You look at his season totals now for a guy that really struggled through the first 15 or 20 games of the season, nothing to show for it has been one of the hottest players in the league for the last while. So the question to you is, would the Blackhawks, a team that is rebuilding, be making a mistake in now moving on from a guy like Dylan Strom, who clearly has the talent to play? Yeah, I think there's a cautionary tale here, and it's not like Dylan Strom's a pending UFA. He's still under team control. So there's still time to evaluate him. We know it's no secret that Patrick Kane really loves to play with him. And we know sort of the defining characteristic of Strom's legacy has been these long slumps underachieving. It took him a long time just to get off the ground in Arizona. There are questions about his skating, but I still think there's a fit there in Chicago. And you have to look at some other examples about teams that are sellers and they reach a juncture with a player who's not quite a prospect anymore, maybe mid twenties and you have to make a decision. But sometimes if you hurry and sort of force that player off the roster, you miss out on some great upside. The example I think of is the New York Rangers 2018. They trade JT Miller, who was a top 10 pick, I believe top 10 in the NHL draft, had that great pedigree. And he was not quite reaching the ceiling. He was an effective NHLer, but not sort of reaching the max potential. They include him in that Ryan McDonough trade to Tampa Bay and he blocked into one of the premier power forwards in the NHL. There's even been talk about the Rangers wanting to acquire him, get him back. So to me, it kind of goes full circle. It's a good reminder that when you have a player who's still under team control and has that potential, don't just jump at the chance to give him away. Make sure you're making the right decision and you evaluate him properly first. Well, I think at the very least, what Strom has done in this case has elevated his trade values that, you know, if the Chicago Blackhawks had traded him perhaps in October, then that might have been the mistake trading him at when his values at an all time low. I just think for a guy who's 25, yes, under team control and has played quite well. If they're talking about moving on from guys like Brandon Hagel, who's 23 and has been so incredibly productive, uh, you know, just with two more years on his deal at an incredible number at 1.5 million, that if he's included, then you're probably also including Strom and just about everyone else. We've talked about Alex Dabrinkit. The only guys that may be standing in who knows for how long are Patrick Kane and Seth Jones. Jonathan Taves, where does he fit in the mix? 
so many interesting questions for Kyle Davidson to uh, figure out, to solve in his puzzle as he tries to remake the Chicago Blackhawks. It's going to be an interesting next 11 days. Brandon Hagel, for one, we know is getting a ton of interest. Let's get to another edition of Icebreakers with some news and nuggets from around the NHL. All right, Frankie. Okay, Frankie, I will give you the floor. First question I have for you. Penguins president Brian Burke said this week they have made some progress in negotiations with their big pending UFAs. Of course, that's Chris Letang. It's Evgeny Malkin. But I want to ask you specifically about Letang. What are you hearing on him right now? Well, I'm hearing that uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins and Chris Letang are not close on an extension. And the reason for that is that the Letang camp is pretty set on getting term. I'm told that the initial ask from Chris Letang's camp to the Penguins was on a five-year deal with a number that starts with a seven, which he's already making 7.25. And you look at his production. This is just since 2019-20. And you see uh, all these guys that have been right near the very top of the league in terms of production, Kel McCarr and Victor Hedman. Chris Letang fits squarely in that group just a bit north of Adam Fox in terms of points per game. Chris Letang having another elite season on the back end. But the big question for the Pittsburgh Penguins is Chris Letang, is 35. That deal would take him to uh, the age of 40, would be the last year of his contract on a five-year extension with a team that is sort of at a crossroads. You look at their deadline plans, and this certainly won't affect their deadline plans because I think everyone is comfortable moving forward with this situation. You know, how does Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin fit into the broader picture of where the Pittsburgh Penguins are heading from here. We know that they're not going to likely be trading away future assets to improve this team at the deadline. Five years, I just don't see that type of term being handed out by Pittsburgh. I think they're willing, my guess is probably, to come up a bit in AAV in order to try and appease Latang. There's been lots of respect. The dialogue is ongoing, so it certainly hasn't reached a point where there's any friction or anything like that. But Latang, with his production, they feel like he's someone that can play for a long time and continue to be productive in this league. I just don't see that type of term happening. And I think when you just take a broader look at the big picture, Matt, of the Pittsburgh Penguins, it sort of feels like there's this Michael Jordan-esque last dance. You, you hear Latang, Malkin, Crosby, the only trio in the NHL that have been together for 16 consecutive seasons, the only time that's happened in league history. Um, you know, it just feels like when you do the math, you take a big picture, 30,000 foot view of the Pittsburgh Penguins salary cap that out of Rust, Malkin, Latang, you're probably only going to be able to afford to re-sign two of those players question is which two and in some cases maybe in in the case of the ask from the player it might just make the penguins decision easy for them that they may not have a choice but to move in another direction interesting to see how that's all going to unfold but like i said no impact to the penguins and their deadline plans they're perfectly comfortable rolling through this season trying to chase another stanley cup Right. And, and what's fascinating with Latang, you know, thinking about him wanting that much term, he's carried the injury prone label throughout his career, but it's kind of going away. The last three seasons, 93% of games, Pittsburgh games, Latang has played. He's only missed 13 games in the past three seasons. So if you're projecting him long term, the injury factor maybe not exactly as scary as it was before. Okay, next one for you. Uh, teams have a unique tool available to them at the trade deadline that they've never had before. And how is it impacting evaluation right now? 
Well, that's the puck and player tracking data. It's been provided to teams since the start of this season. And the interesting thing is not every team in the NHL has had the ability to mobilize their staff to really sift through these millions of data points to find out more information. So this is the first deadline that some teams that are advanced or ahead of the curve or frankly just have the biggest staff and the biggest brains to put all these numbers together and figure out what they mean is they've been able to use this data to evaluate some players in ways that they haven't previously. So I'll give you an example. I mentioned in my reporting uh, that Hampus Lindholm is the number one defensive target on the rental market for a number of teams, I believe, including the Florida Panthers. Now, they've been able to look at this data and say, well, what can we learn about Hampus Lindholm at his age and with his experience in the NHL about something like his skating. And you could probably see this with your eye that Hampus Lindholm is an excellent skater. They've been able to, some teams, identify Hampus Lindholm as elite of the elite in terms of the top 15% or so in the NHL in skating, distance travel, things like acceleration, deceleration, um, you know, all those things, straight line speed, directional speed, agility, it's all in data. And so they've actually, teams I'm told have been using this at the deadline to have those conversations that, you know, previously you might've had with a scout they don't have to look for those things necessarily anymore. They can see it right in the numbers. So it's impacting this deadline in terms of the evaluation. That's amazing. It combines the theories of the spreadsheet and the eye test. Two different schools of thought merging. Pretty exciting stuff. Uh, next one for you. Uh, obviously, you were the one to report this this week. The NHL severing ties with the KHL right now in, in light of the Russian attacks on Ukraine. Um, so I'm curious, what is the impact on planning the World Cup of Hockey, which was slated, we think, for 2024? Well, I think it throws a wrench into it. I don't think there's really any question about that because they are trying to get the World Cup of Hockey up and running again, not just for 2024, but I think ultimately they'd like to announce a series of tournaments, 24, 28, 32, that really put international hockey on the map and put it on the map for good. But think back to the 2016 World Cup of Hockey when they, to field an eight-team tournament, they didn't include some of the smaller federations that may not have had a chance to be successful for competitive reasons. So they added Team North America and they added Team Europe. Well, in this case, I guess big picture, I'm told that it doesn't affect the tournament's planning because the structure will be the same and the league is confident that they can put together a tournament and have enough um, teams available to them from a competitive standpoint where they feel like they can still put the tournament on. But to then take another team out potentially in Russia, well, that certainly makes it even a little bit more difficult. The league would have to get more creative in order to pull something like that off. So certainly something to keep an eye on because, look, 2024, it is a long ways away. We have no idea what the world's going to look like at this point. But the fact that the NHL has severed ties and communication with the KHL They've stopped all business with Russian parties in terms of sponsorships and things like that, that, uh, wow, it would be fascinating to see a World Cup of hockey and not have Russia in it. How would that look like from a competitive standpoint? Do you need to rejig things, make it 
I don't know, four nations, five, who knows what you do on that front. But the NHL is certainly has their work cut out for them. That'll do it for this edition of Icebreakers delivered by DoorDash. You see the promo codes there at the bottom of your screen. DFODD in Canada, DFODD US if you're in the United States. That gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order. If you're like me, you don't want to cook. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door by DoorDash. All right, Matt, it's time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. We'd be happy to take your question. So my question to you, Matt, going back to the Capitals game in Edmonton on Wednesday night, give me one gif to describe this missed call on Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals that ultimately probably ended up sending this game to overtime, getting the Capitals a point in the standings. All right, I'm going to throw back to the 2004 film Anchorman Ron Burgundy when he says, I'm, I'm not even mad, I, I'm actually impressed. Or whatever he says, actually, I'm not even mad, that's amazing. Because the hook, it was actually more than one hook. The hooks, plural, were so egregious that it was almost impressive that Alex Ovechkin was able to get away with them. I can't believe that multiple offenses were missed there. So that's my gif. It's Ron Burgundy. I'm not even mad, I'm actually impressed. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I don't even have any words for it. This is what I came up with for my GIF. <laughs> Honestly, that's it. That's all I got. How, how do you miss that? You know, it, it's so simple in today's NHL. And in fact, it's mostly automatic. Anytime you see that stick come horizontal, the call is being made, let alone, you know, almost like pulling himself along with a ski pole. I, I don't know. This seemed cut and dry. I get Look, not a big issue because the Edmonton Oilers ended up winning in overtime with a Connor McDavid uh, goal off the rush. But still, uh, this is egregious and should have been caught. So uh, certainly fun to, to have a little fun with some gifts. Matt, thank you for that. Big Anchorman fan. Uh, let's bring in Tyler Uremchuk for our daily face-off daily bet segment. Tyler, how'd you do last night, bud? Uh, we hit on our adjusted team total parlay, actually, and that was a plus 110 payout. We missed on the Darnell Nurse prop, though, so basically just a wash. We'll move on to tonight, and I got a few plays, all of them involving the Toronto-Arizona game in some capacity. We'll start with just the straight-up over. I mean, we've talked a lot on the show about the Leafs' struggles between the pipes. Arizona's been scoring at an unreal clip as of late. I think those two things coming together tonight is going to result in a lot of goals in this matchup. Uh, the Leafs have hit the over in three of their last four games, three of their four games this month. The over's hit twice in a row for the Coyotes, and like I said, they've been hitting the over single-handedly. They don't even need the other team in this. So I like the over six and a half tonight with Mrazek and Net for the Leafs paying out minus 125. I'm also going with a, another team total parlay because I like the Leafs to score a lot in this game. Maybe don't trust their goaltending enough for them to cover the puck line or anything. And I also like the Panthers to put up more than three and a half goals in their matchup. So Leafs over three and a half parlayed with Panthers over three and a half pays out plus 140. I like that as a, as a little parlay for tonight. And then for my prop bet this evening, I'm sticking with that Toronto Arizona matchup, but I'm going with Coyotes forward Clayton Keller plus 135 to pick up an assist in this matchup. He's been great at this recently. He's hit this in four of his last five. He's hit this in seven of his last 10. And the hot streak actually stretches further than that. He's picked up at least one assist in 12 of his last 16 games. 
and the payout is still plus 135. And it's a good map because like I said, the Leafs are struggling to keep pucks out of their own net. So I think Keller can pick up an apple. I think the over is hitting in that game. I think the Leafs team total and the Panthers team total are hidden. I got a lot of action tonight, Frank. I'm fired up. Tyler, as you say, never a bad day to make money off the Arizona Coyotes. We'll see. Peter Mrazek in net. This is his chance. Run with it. See how far you can carry the ball for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Matt, there's been lots of talk, speaking of the Leafs, about Austin Matthews and his Hart Trophy candidacy. But you think that there's another name that we should have on our list as we get closer to awards time in late April. I'm looking at Jason Robinson. I'm getting shades of Taylor Hall in 2017-18 with the New Jersey Devils. I'm a purist when it comes to the Hart Trophy. I want to give it to the player that's most valuable to his team, not the best player. That's the Ted Lindsay Award. That's for the most outstanding player as voted by the players. The Hart Trophy is for the most valuable. And you look at Jason Robinson. I'm not just a recency bias here, wowed by two hat-tricks. It goes a lot deeper than that. If you look at the past 28 games for the Dallas Stars, 21 goals for Jason Robinson. More importantly, six game-winning goals. The Dallas Stars have won 19 of those games. He's single-handedly taking this team on his shoulders, carrying them toward the postseason. And especially if the Stars can make the playoffs and they don't have Miro Heiskin, and we don't know how long they're going to be without him, they're going to need up front a lot more scoring to get by. And Jason Robinson is going to be the guy doing it. So to me, I'm just seeing, you know, if you look at Hall in 2018, he had something like 43, I think 41 points more than his closest teammate. And Jason Robinson, obviously he's got great line mates with Rupe Hintz and Joel Pavelski, but he's already got seven goals more than his closest teammate. And he's missed eight games this season. So he's playing at a different level than anyone else on the team. He is I think the number one reason the stars have clawed back into that central division and also the wild card race in the Western Conference. So if we decide we are purists and we look at which player has the greatest influence on his team's success this year, I think you can make a case Jason Robertson has now entered the chat, as the kids like to say. It's a really interesting argument. And Matt, I think one of the fascinating layers to the Hart Trophy race this year is just when you're looking at these teams and maybe with Robertson, it's kind of clear with the stars, but Pavelski and Hints have been so good. You'd be having this question and it comes up with the Colorado Avalanche. It comes up with the Edmonton Oilers. Which one of these guys is actually the most valuable to their team? I think it's going to be clouding a bit of this, uh, this chase for the Hart Trophy this year, because if you are like if you're having trouble determining who is the most valuable player to the team how could you possibly be the most valuable player in the league so you want to mention the purest argument there should only be one guy theoretically from each team that makes it onto the ballot you shouldn't have leon dreisaitl and connor mcdavid both on your ballot one or the other same thing with the abs same thing with the stars go down the list it's uh, a fun debate to have, and I'm glad that we're going to have lots of time post-NHL trade deadline to do that. March 21st, lots of games happening tonight in the NHL. 13 on the slate. Jack Eichel returns to Buffalo after his trade. We mentioned Robin Leonard out. So many things happening. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the NHL. He's Matt Lark, and this was his debut on the Daily Faceoff Show. That's all the time we have for today. We'll be back 12 noon Eastern tomorrow. You know where to find us. Until then, have a great day, everyone. Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.